Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. Great to see you guys out here again. I'm, uh, I'm Craig Hamlin, and I was here a couple of weeks ago, and uh, so that they let me back in the door. So that was a good thing, and um, able to come back in and, uh, and preach to you guys again. So I'm excited to, uh, to be with you again. Love your worship leaders and um, just all that you guys are doing here. So just keep it up. Keep encouraged. Stay strong in the faith. Uh, the kingdom of God is continuing to march on. You guys be with it and uh, continue to march with the Lord and listen to what he has to say during this transition time. And, um, and God is, uh, is going to be honored in that if you'll just simply obey him. So today I, uh, I, I just want to come and just thank you guys again. We're going to be uh, just talking about one of my favorite passages of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 20. So you can be turning there. We're going to get to that in just a minute. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 20. Now, uh, if there are four letters in, uh, in the English alphabet that give me the most angst, that cause me the most anxiety, what do you think those four letters might be? Anybody know? Probably not. You want me to tell you? H-G-T-V. Anybody else have that same kind of thing? All right. H-G-T-V. All right. It's kind of like Pinterest. When my wife gets on either one of those, my honeydew list goes from this to this, right? Uh, Change is her middle name. You know, Jennifer Change Hamlin. You know, that's kind of what we think of. But um, we, uh, we, I actually enjoy watching, um, watching HGTV. Now for the guy and for some girls, I guess too, uh, the antithesis of HGTV is four other letters, E-S-P-N, right? All right. And a lot of times HGTV gets in the way of ESPN. Uh, and so I have to, we have to come to a great compromise. It's a great test of our marriage sometimes when that happens, especially when one of my ball teams are playing. But, uh, but I actually like HGTV. There's some shows on there that you might identify with. How many of you guys like to watch HGTV? Give me a shout out of some sort because I can't see you well. All right. Y'all like it? Say yeah. All right, a few of you. All right, that's fine. I don't know what else you watch. It's decent, but anyway, um, HGTV. So what are some of the shows on HGTV? Yell them out. Hometown. Yes, I like those guys. Property Brothers. What else? What's that? House Hunters. Yeah, yeah. What else? Love it or list it. Yes, yes. Don't you love those? Because you can wager in the house. You know, what are they going to do? Love it or list it. There's a new one coming out called Rock the Block. You know, I'm interested in seeing what that is. You know, on all of these shows that we just named here, um, they all came from a couple of shows uh, some years, years ago. One of them was called Trading Spaces. Y'all remember that show? You know, two couples kind of swap out and they, they kind of do a, a, a project on each other's home. And then Ty Pennington came out with the big one, Extreme Makeover, Home Edition, right? And, and in, that, uh, in that one, uh, they started out renovating houses and then they got to some houses that couldn't be renovated without just tearing the whole thing down. And so that's what they started doing. They just started demolishing all of them. And, uh, and you got to see this brand new home in front of you. So today I thought we would look at 
what it means to be radically reconstructed by God. Because if you think about it, the message of the Bible is the message of the gospel. And it says this, really the message of the gospel is this, that there was nothing about you that could be fixed. All right, some good news for us this morning. If you think you're somebody, just remember that. There's nothing about you that could be fixed, repaired, or renovated. You were so bad that a total demolition was needed and a radical reconstruction was necessary for you to be fit to stand before God. How about that? (laughs) But here's the good news. When God is finished with you, you will be so radically transformed that hardly anybody will even recognize you. And even that's happening right now through the process of sanctification. In fact, you will look incredibly similar to the designer and the builder. And that's his purpose, isn't it? Radical reconstruction. If we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want us to read the, from 14 to 20. And then I want to do a little comment on some of these, uh, and, uh, of these as, we, as we walk through here. But what I really, really want us to get down to is this, is that when Paul here is writing this passage, he's writing to de- not only to defend his own ministry and how he's doing things, but he's trying to tell the Corinthian church that you, you cannot get to where God wants you to be on your own. You, have, you can't bring anything to God that is worth his even using. There's no materials that are a part of who you are that is, is going to be usable. And so that's why God has to completely demolish who you are so he can raise up who he's created you to be and given you a power uh, to be more like him, to look like the designer. That's the whole process of it. And so if you haven't been through a radical reconstruction by God, then uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service to give your life to Christ and let him begin to do that. But if, you, if we go through this list here in just a little bit and you see that, that there are some areas of reconstruction that you need God to continue to work on so that that might become evident, might come to light, then I think we'll be heading in a good direction so that God can get that uh, healed up for you and get you moving in the right direction. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Would you stand with me as we read God's word and let's see what God has to say to us, all right? Stand with me as we read God's word. All right, we're going to jump right in the middle of this passage in verse 14. For the love of Christ, he says, for the love of Christ compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who loved us and for, his, for, for, and for him for their sake died and was raised. And from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus and we ask, Lord, that you'd help this passage to come to life to us as it already is living and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Let it penetrate our soul and let it speak into our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen and amen. You guys can be seated. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is the pivotal verse, isn't it, in this entire passage. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have become, all things, you gotta, you gotta leave the old, all things have become new, he says. Now, in this passage here, when he talks about every person is in Christ, and then he talks about everything going from being old to being new, he's talking about two things in the life of, of the believer. One is what is your identity? And then secondly, what is your lifestyle? Because your identity is going to inform your lifestyle. And he says, if anyone is in Christ. Now we could talk the entire time about what it means to be in Christ. I would just tell you to read Ephesians chapter 1. And you can really get an understanding of that. Galatians chapter 3 is another place. But if we're sticking to this passage here, you'll look down at verse 21. And here's what Paul says in verse 5. He says, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, what Christ did for us to get our identity, he says, I'm going to take your unrighteousness and I'm going to place all of your unrighteousness, all of your lust, your greed, your pride, your, 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 your prejudice, your race, all of that stuff. I'm going to place that on Jesus as a sacrificial lamb and I'm going to give you his Righteousness. In other words, I'm going to give you the life that you should have lived, that Jesus lived. I'm going to give that to you in exchange. And you're going to become mine, my own possession. That's our identity in Christ. We are his. We are in Christ. I love what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. Uh, he says, I think it's around verse three. He says, I think it's four. For you have died and your Christ and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have double security. You have died. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. And your life is now hidden in Christ, in God. You are complete in him. It's like the righteousness of God, like a robe, has wrapped you up in that. And you now look like Jesus. The question is, do you act like Jesus? <laughs> because you see, implied in this passage is what we're going to look at. The reason why this radical reconstruction is necessary is because positionally you need Jesus to be able to even stand before God, but you also need this radical reconstruction so that you might look like Jesus to the world and act like, speak like him and all of those things. The Bible tells us over in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 he says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. The reason is, is because they are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. He says, the Gentiles, these that are lost without Christ, they become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, that is sexual perversion, greedy, 
to practice every kind of impurity. He says, but that is not the way that you've learned Christ if you really know him. To put, your, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, is what you are to do. And, and, and is, he says that former old way of life is corrupt through deceitful desires. But a follower of Jesus Christ is to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's why Paul tells us, and he wrote both of these, these uh, letters That's why he's saying, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I would tell you guys at Palmetto Baptist here, guys, here is the ultimate purpose of the gospel. You who have placed your faith alone in Jesus Christ live differently in this world. We live in a culture that is imploding around itself, doesn't know what to do, is is listening to every kind of voice that that it can. But we as followers of Jesus Christ are a steady, rock solid voice of holiness, of God, of grace, of mercy, of truth in this world. And every place that we go, every conversation that we have, has to be filtered through the word of God, through the grace of God, through the mercy of God, through the truth that is found in God's word. We're not to pull back from our culture, but we're to penetrate the darkness. We're to push back the lostness, be a voice of truth, listen to the voice of God over the voice of culture and live in holiness in such a radical way that people will find in you the Jesus, their soul desperately craves. And so Paul is going to give us four new ways in which God radically reconstructs us. And the result of that is going to be an incredible joy that is found in every single follower of Jesus Christ. Because what I want you to come away with today is not just a challenge. Are these things being lived out evidentially in my life? But am I experiencing the joy of walking with Jesus every single day because I've been radically reconstructed. So I want us to take, I want us to make a little, little visual here for a moment. You remember the show I, I mentioned earlier, at Home uh, Extreme Makeover, Home Edition? Do you remember when they got finished with everything and they brought the family they were doing that with? They would take them and all these people were with them and they would drive this massive bus up. And a lot of times the bus had a picture of the old place, Right? And they would say these three words. Everybody would say them, right? What were the three words? Y'all say it with some enthusiasm. You know, y'all wouldn't be out there going, move, move, move that bus. All right, let's say it with some enthusiasm. You just got your house renovated for for goodness sake, right? I'm talking about rebuilt completely. What would you be saying? There you go. That's it. Move that bus. Now, when, when God reconstructs you, all right, when he saves you, he puts that old life and he says, all right, all right, angels in heaven, what are we going to say? Move that bus. And what do we find? We find right here in this passage. Look at here. First thing we find is in verse 14. We find that every single person that's been radically reconstructed has a new motivation for living. You see what he says in verse 14? 
He says, for the love of Christ controls us. And the reason why it controls us or compels us is three different words. It could be compels, constrained, controls. He says, because we've concluded this, that one died for all, speaking of Jesus, therefore all in Christ have died so that they can live again. That's what he's talking about in verse 14. But what we get at here and what we've got to see is that Paul's entire motivation for his ministry. And by the way, he's in the midst in this letter, where we are in this letter, he's defending his ministry against critics. All right. He's saying that the one thing that motivates me more than anything else is the love of Christ. The love of Christ. And that love for Paul is clearly seen in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans 5, he says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross was such an enamoring, emotional, motivating factor for Paul that he couldn't get his hands around anything else. In fact, it welled up so much in Paul that in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, he goes up to this crescendo when he begins asking this question, these questions. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I mean, that's what all of the church was going through during this time. They were heavily being persecuted. I mean, we could, we could substitute all of our stuff in there, right? Is anything going to be able to separate us from the love of Christ? He says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, he says. And then he says these famous words, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of God's creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something, guys. If nothing else motivates you in life, may the cross of Jesus Christ do that. To see the love displayed on the cross. That wondrous cross that Isaac Watts wrote a great hymn about. When, when I survey the wondrous cross upon which the Prince of Glory died. He said, it compels me to love. The last little bit of, the, of that song says, says, I sac it says, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Were the whole realm of nature mine. That were present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, divine demands my soul, my life, my all. Paul would write later in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh. He's saying every single moment of my day, when I wake up until I go to bed, I, I rejoice while I'm in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The love that so motivated Paul to do everything that he did was the love that he saw on the cross of Calvary. And I can tell you something, guys, that when you're motivated by the cross of Jesus and you see what Jesus did for you, you see the courage that it took for him to go to the cross and the, and the absolute love, sacrificial love, 
It'll cause you to be able to do anything. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 12 and verse two says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You see, the cross of Jesus was not just an emblem of shame. It was also a symbol and an and an evidence of the joy in the heart of God because of every single one of you who have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's something about that joy that will cause us to do about anything for the kingdom of God. Some years ago when I used to teach swimming, I used to train adults, teach swimming, I used to train lifeguards and, uh, and, and all of that. And then I would teach adults and kids and everybody, but adults were the most fun because they were the hardest to teach. And they had all kinds of reasons. I even had one lady, I asked, why are you getting, why are you learning how to swim this late? She said, because I'm getting baptized in a week. <laughs> I was like, all right, we'll get you ready. Most adults, you know, they, by the, if they hadn't learned how to swim by the time they became uh, adults, they really struggled, you know. They, they struggled to put their face in the water, to blow bubbles, and, you know, not, not, not to mention to actually make progress in the water. I had this one guy who worked for the community center where I managed his pool and taught and everything. And this guy was ripped from head to toe. I mean, there wasn't an ounce of body fat on him, much like myself. And anyway, I'm only joking. All right. And so this guy was so ripped. I, I thought to myself, if he gets in eight to 12 feet of water, he's going to sink to the bottom if he didn't know what he's doing. So the test at the end of the two weeks, the test was to get on the diving board, jump into the deep end, and then I had to swim to the side and get out without me being in the water. Now, I can tell you, I did not want to be in the water when this guy jumped in anyway, because I figured both of us would be drowning at that point. So everybody in the class is, has gotten on the diving board, jumped into the water, made it to the other side, haven't lost anybody yet. And so I've got this one guy left. And I turn around and I said, hey, I'm going to call him John. I can't remember his name. I said, John, come on and get on the diving board. I see him. He's got his back, you know, to all of us and he's grabbing the fence that is next to this diving board. And I go over and pry his hands loose. And I said, John, just get on the diving board. All right, just do it. So he gets on the diving board and it's shaking, man. He's shaking like it's 30 degrees outside. You know, he's getting ready to do a polar plunge. He's just shaking all over. He said, I can't do it. I can't do it. I said, listen, you can do this. Jump, take a big, deep breath, jump in and then come to the side. I said, I'm here. I'll get you out somehow if, <laughs> if you don't make it. He said, all right. I'm holding you to that. So he puts his toes out over the edge and he takes this big, deep breath, big old cheeks, you know, and he jumps in. He goes straight to the bottom. I mean, he's probably down eight, 10 feet down there. He's on the bottom and he's just like, he's like walking around down there is what it looked like. Bubbles are just coming up and, and I see as he's just flailing and I'm thinking to myself, when do I need to go? You know, maybe he'll just pass out and I could, it'd be a lot easier to get him then, you know. So all of a sudden he gets to the top and he flails his arms over to the ladder and he gets out. And you know what he does? He says, don't ever let me do that again. Do you think he did that? Absolutely not. He yells to the top of his lungs. Woo! I mean, everybody in my hometown could hear this guy. And I said, John, what is going on? He says, can I do it again? 
I said, yes. And he gets back on the board and he does it again and he does it again. And we have to close the place down, you know, because he's still going off the board. He was so filled with joy. Let me tell you something, guys. The same fear that might grip your heart about the things that are going on in your life or going on in our culture should, should create joy within you because of what Jesus did, because of how much he loves you and he loves this world. And greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. What motivates us as followers of Jesus Christ abates all of the fear that we have as, 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 as human beings in our flesh. And so we take that courage, we take that, and then we move, move ourselves in a brand new direction. That's what he says in verse 15. Look at what he says. Very easy verse for us to understand. In verse 15, he goes from that motivation to say, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus radically reconstructs you, not just with a new motivation, but he radically reconstructs you with a brand new direction for life. You see what he says here. You see, Paul's life had been consumed by selfish ambition. Just read Philippians chapter 3 and you'll see that. Paul basically saying, I was climbing the religious leader ladder, successful, accomplished, ambitious. And Paul was consumed by living for himself, for his own glory. But when Paul gave his heart to Jesus, he emptied himself of his own glory, just like Jesus had done, so that others could see Jesus rather than Paul. You see, Jesus gives us a brand new direction when we come to live in him. He gives us a brand new direction away from self and away from ownership over your own life. He tells us in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus said, if, if anyone wants to come to me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's one way that we that we're going in the opposite direction of the world, opposite direction of where our, our heart before Christ wants to go. We deny ourselves, we take up our cross and we follow Jesus. But also away from ownership from your own life, Paul says in, a, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God, listen to this, in your body. I've never, I've never seen a culture, I've never seen a, I've never seen a time that people claim to be followers of Jesus Christ and don't know the word of God as much as I, or are willing to follow the word of God as much as today. We can't do whatever we want to with our bodies. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We can't put into our bodies or do, do through our bodies or let things come out of our bodies that are coming out that are so contrary to the word of God now. The way that we're thinking in our world, we're, we're, we, we just absolutely bypass most of scripture. When God says, listen, you're to honor God with your bodies. Here's what the word of God says in Philippians chapter one. He says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will, be, I will not be ashamed about anything but that now as always with all boldness, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by, by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Paul's whole direction for life was toward Christ. 
Where is your life headed right now? Is it headed toward toward self and selfish ambition? You know, living for yourself is one of the most exhausting things that you can do. (laughs) You got to be perfect. You got to have, you know, all of the right stuff in place. You got to make the right kind of money. You got to have the right kind of house. You got to drive the right kind of car. You got to have the right kind of friends. You got to deny some of the other friends you don't really like. You got to, it, it, it is exhausting to live for self. But I can tell you something. It is the joy of life to live for Jesus, who places it within us the peace of God. We've got to turn our eyes toward Jesus, like the old song. Turn your, turn your eyes toward Jesus. Look into his wonderful face. What direction is your life headed? Well, we see the motivation that Paul gives us. It's the love of Christ. We see the direction that he's taking. It's away from himself because he's so motivated by the love of Christ. He's drawn to it. So his life is now headed toward Christ. And what that does is he heads closer and closer to Christ. He begins to see people the way God sees them, not the way man sees them or the way culture sees them. And so the third thing that he says is in verse 16, he says that Jesus radically reconstructs our perspective. Now look at verse 16. He says, from now on, therefore, all right, because I'm no longer living for myself, but for him who for their sake died and was raised, from now on, therefore, we regard or we think about or we consider no one according to the flesh, He says, now, I used to do this with Jesus. I used to look at Jesus this way. I saw him as just a religious zealot that that, that was trying to get his own way. And he says, but I don't no longer see Jesus from the outward. I see him as Lord over all things. You see, for Paul, it transformed everything about how he viewed the world. Paul did not see people according to their socioeconomic status. Paul did not see anybody based on their political agendas. Paul never looked at a man or a woman based on their race or their nationality. He looked at them based on the word of God. And he looked at them as for whom Christ died. And it's instructive for us, guys, that we don't take our cues from the culture. Because when Christ radically reconstructs us, he tears down the old ways of looking at him and other people so that when you, when you see him, you see him as Lord and you see others for whom Christ died. And that changes the conversations that we're having today in our culture from political to biblical, from, from partial being partial to impartial, from hatred to love. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't look through the lens of Fox News or CNN to get our convictions, but we look through the infallible Word of God. We take His view of society and His view of people. Christ's body then has to penetrate the darkness with light. We do not take our our orders from culture, but take the truth to the culture. That's the radical reconstruction God is doing in and through us as followers of Jesus Christ. So what perspective do you have as you walk through life? Are you motivated by the love of Christ? 
Are you guided in your directions away from self and selfish ambition and selfish pleasures and all that to Christ himself living for him? And is that changing the way that you view other people? And, 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 are, and through that, are you taking a biblical view into this culture? Or are you letting culture dominate your view and creating division in relationships? All of that leads us to the last thing, and that is, is that Paul experienced a radical new purpose when God changed him. Jesus radically reconstructs us with a new purpose. Look at verse 18. He says, all this, he just sums it up. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God did for us what we could not do, right? We could not reconcile ourselves to God. God had to do this. That's why Jesus came. But in his coming and then his giving to us this free gift of salvation, he gives us a ministry. He leaves us on this earth and he says, listen, you have the ministry of reconciliation, which means that you go out into this culture and you grab the hand of that person who is lost, who is unreconciled to God, who is, leaving, who, who is, who is in a, a dark place, dead in their trespasses and sins, and grab the hand of God and you bring them together. And that's called being a part of the cross of Jesus Christ. And you make that your purpose in life. Your purpose is to be Christ's representative with a message of hope, a message of reconciliation. Not despair, but of love, not hate, of truth, not compromise, of grace, not condemnation. Your purpose is to be a fisher of men, a change, a community changer, a peacemaker, a grace giver, a hope supplier. Your purpose as an ambassador is to be the representative of God and give them a little taste of heaven on earth. If you love going to see movies or watch some of those, I like, I like watching movie clips sometimes. I know, you know, when we used to be able to go to the movies, <laughs> people would say, oh man, we're seeing all these previews, all these previews. I kind of like the previews because I could tell whether I wanted to go back and spend the money to see the movie, right? A movie clip is designed to do one thing. What is it? It's designed to whet your appetite enough that you'll want to go back. So they, they don't show you all the movie. They just show you little bits and scenes uh, of, of it to get you excited about seeing the movie. Your life is like that in Christ. You're not in heaven yet. You haven't experienced heaven yet. But a little taste of heaven has gotten into you through Jesus. Right? And the way that G, the, the heart of God and the way that he wants to see this world and, and conduct himself in this world, all of those things he's placed within you. So that when they say, move that bus, and the world looks at you, they go, wow, whoever designed that place, I want them to do some designing in this place. Because you want them to see so much. You wanted to get just a taste of Jesus that they want more. They want more. I'm going to close with this. If the musicians, guys, y'all want to come back up here, I think y'all are sliding your way on up here. So come on up.
There was a lady by the name of Ruby Hamilton who, uh, was taking o- who had taken over her husband's business that they had had for many years. She'd been married to this man for, for 32 years. Five years previous, on May the 7th, her husband was killed in a tragic car accident. She'd been witnessing to her husband for years after she had come to know Christ, and he had no interest in it whatsoever. When he died, she thought that was it, and she got angry at God. She poured her life into making money and trying, trying to do the best for that business she could. Until one day, this guy by the name of Roger Simmons walks into her office. Roger had a business card in his hand, and his business card had her husband's name on it. Curious? She said, have a seat. What can I do for you? She said, I want, he said, I wanted to come by here and meet your husband because... When I got out of the army, I was hitchhiking back to a place that I had some friends, and, uh, and your husband picked me up on the side of the road. And while we were talking in the car, God just compelled me that as an ambassador of Christ, I need to share the gospel with this man, and I did. And all of a sudden, he just began to weep, and he pulled the car over to the side of the road, and there he prayed and gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And he said, I just wanted to come and see how he was doing and tell him how much I appreciate him uh, just making such an impression on my life. I want to see how he was growing in in the Lord. Tears began to come down Ruby's face. She said, "Um, when did you get out of the army? He said, "On, on May the 7th, five years ago. She just began to weep uncontrollably. She said, you know, all these years, I never knew if my husband had given his life to Christ until today. She said, what what do you mean? She said, five years ago, on May the 7th, after he picked you up and then dropped you off down the road, he was killed in a car accident. And I thought God had abandoned me. But he hadn't. And she got up and she gave this man the biggest hug she could give. And she said, you, you followed your heart and you told my husband about Jesus and now I know that he's with the Lord and I'll see him again one day. Listen, that might not happen to you like that. But I guarantee you that if you will find your motivation in the love of God and you will begin following Jesus in the direction that he's going, Seeing this world as only he sees it. And then knowing that your purpose as an ambassador of Jesus is to to be his hands and feet. You will be, and this church will be, a world-changing body of believers. And every part of this globe will know of the people of Palmetto Baptist Church. Heavenly Father. Today we come before you in the name that is above every name. As we, as we sing this song, as we extend this invitation, Lord, we pray that men and women, boys and girls might come to faith in Christ, but also, Lord, might have a renewed passion to shine that new construction that you have done in their life and be Jesus to this world. That is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.